welcome back to the Teach for Justice podcast. This is Alfredo, and I'm uh, using this time to recap some uh, events affecting educators and students from the month of March 2022. First is Sacramento teacher strike. It's, it's teachers and uh, all other school workers. This was about 4,600 employees over about 46 schools. This strike lasted for about eight days, ended on a Friday in March. Um, and the tricky thing here that I want to bring up, well, a couple of things I want to bring up. One, it's, it's proximity to another strike that we spoke about last month, which is the Oakland Unified Strike. So Northern mm-hmm. California certainly has its share of issues being felt up there uh, between Sacramento and Oakland. I wanted to draw attention to regionally. Uh, other than that, I wanted to really highlight one of the resolutions here that's being considered after the strike has concluded, which is um, that the district and the school board are considering now, as a consequence of this eight-day strike, uh, extending the school year a couple of weeks in order to make up those days, which would push the school year into uh, mid to late June. This was an unintended and unforeseen consequence, and there's certainly a back and forth in regards to whether or not that would be an appropriate uh, consequence. And so it's between the union and the board and all of that to uh, hash out. Uh, but interesting how Sacramento played out and, um, you know, just a theme that we're seeing here um, at Teach for Justice start to play out is, is this an unusual amount of teacher strikes and student walkouts, for that matter, happening in the United States uh, that maybe only news outlets like The Guardian are attempting to track? Or is this business as usual and we're only seeing it here because uh, we happen to be having this lens uh, and we're, you know, we're looking at uh, how pandemic and how uh, the economy and how politics are affecting teachers and students. Uh, So we're only seeing it because we're looking for it. But uh, in terms of getting this resolved, well done on behalf of uh, the people in this area here. Next up, we're looking at the state of Virginia. I wanted to do uh, people a favor who thought this was a little bit California heavy and, and look at Virginia for a minute. And what happened was in Virginia, big theme here, and it's going to come up eventually if we're looking at 2022, is CRT, critical race theory. And because of critical race theory concerns, uh, the politicians in Virginia were looking at trying to put a ban on certain subjects and what's being taught in Virginia schools. In reaction to a proposed plan, and I wanna give a shout out here on Twitter to at Mel Lenore uh, for doing a great job covering this stuff. You guys should check out uh, her Twitter account. Um, uh, In response, the superintendents of the schools, every school district uh, responded uh, with major concerns here. 133 Virginia school superintendents chided Uh, Yunkin's education department over the audit. And um, ultimately, and of course, you can go to Mel Lenore's uh, Twitter account and and look at her very, very good and very thorough coverage. Uh, They weren't consulted in any way. So, you know, I understand, I'm starting to understand that there's this intersection of politics and education uh, happening. um, And I'm wondering if, whether or not, politicians and educators just need to admit that in this moment, we need to work together on certain things as we sort of sort out 
um, what everybody's role is going to be. Um, but in this case, certainly one of the issues was uh, politicians not consulting the educators themselves, or at least the administrators themselves. And a, a real active, and, and what I can appreciate here is a unanimous uh, response by the superintendents. And it'll be interesting to see going forward um, how that working relationship uh, progresses. Next, in Indiana, uh, similarly uh, with critical race theory concerns uh, in Indiana, um, the certain school boards and politicians were trying to um, make changes to the curriculum going forward. And in a response, the college board who oversees advanced placement exams uh, issued a warning that if you uh, take out certain parts of what is the prescribed advanced placement curriculum, then those courses will not be allowed to have the AP designation. This is important because if you aren't tracking this because you don't have uh, school-aged kids, um, the uh, plenty of colleges and universities and you know advanced placement classes are you know designed for these kinds of four-year college-bound students. Uh, they have started making the SAT and ACT tests uh, optional, right? They, they call them test optional uh, admissions processes. And so without the SAT, students, really aggressive uh, students, are starting to put more stock into their AP exams. So if you're a student in Indiana um, and because of the way uh, school boards and, and admin and politicians are uh, taking certain units or, or certain ideas out of the curriculum, you could lose your AP designation and uh, that would make it more difficult to attend um, potentially uh, some of the more attractive universities, especially if you don't have the SAT or ACT as a um, balancing factor. Uh, this is the first time the College Board uh, has taken such a stance, and they even took another step and parted ways with an uh, executive uh, within the College Board, um, which oversees both AP and the SAT, by the way, uh, uh, parted ways with an executive who was from uh, in the state of Indiana politics. And uh, you're welcome to visit here the College Board website, but uh, they, they put on uh, some of their social media a reminder and came out with a solid statement uh, titled what AP stands for, and there'll be a link in the description. So an interesting sort of tension there um, and, and having the college board step up and say, we're not telling you what you can or can't do. We're just saying that taking some of that stuff out is inconsistent with our values and the rigor and making it acceptable for four-year college, and uh, we're going to have to withdraw the designation. So um, something definitely interesting uh, for those of us teachers who also teach AP um, and are trying to guide students into uh, what they want to do with their future. Uh, next up, Chalkbeat is covering uh, in Newark, New Jersey, and Camden, New Jersey, and it's in two cities because uh, we're talking about a, a charter uh, operation, uh, uh, some places call them charter uh, clusters. And at this particular uh, charter cluster, and, and this is covered by Patrick Wall here in, in Chalkbeat for the Newark area, uh, students and teachers are protesting the treatment of, of Black teachers specifically. And I think this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, it is both teachers and students who are feeling that they're 
that both groups are being treated with a bias. Um, and one of the major frustrations is that uh, black teachers are leaving their schools um, after there has been um, some rapport established. And, you know, there is talk in teacher circles here about, you know, the value of having teachers that look like them, uh, that look like the students that are being served. And, you know, uh, regardless of how you feel about that, from the kids themselves, they're saying that we really liked these teachers. We liked having teachers that look like us. And it is discouraging when, um, when they're leaving because they feel undervalued or underappreciated. Now that piece right there, which is one of the uh, comments from this article that they feel underappreciated, undervalued, I would make the claim that that is widespread, that that isn't limited to this area or to this uh, particular group of charter schools. Um, and, uh, you know, also those of you in education who have, uh, you know, hard thoughts about um, charter schools, you know, my, the research I've seen is, that they're hit and miss, right? About 50-50 where uh, half the charter schools do outperform some of the schools in their area and the other half certainly have issues. Um, but setting that aside and not necessarily trying to assign um, this charter cluster with either of those groups, uh, the idea that the kids are so upset that they're willing to protest um, certainly is a sign that a connection was built. And I would make the claim that if there's a connection, uh, there's much more of an opportunity for those kids to learn uh, than if there if there weren't such a uh, that same kind of uh, connection. So uh, here's a quote from a protesting student: "It's very upsetting for us to build bonds with our teachers, to build relationships and connect, uh, and then see them chased out by the school." And so you know, uh, this is the thing about tracking these events nationwide, right? I don't know what's going on regionally over there in that charter group or, you know, on the East Coast, but I do know I can attest to the fact that I'm on the West Coast and, and have, uh, you know, teacher friends nationwide who are, are feeling similarly, um, but uh, to have students walk out is um, an interesting part of this one. Now, speaking of the walkout, the reaction by the charter group was once kids walked out, they locked them out of the school. So even though the protest was meant to last maybe 20, 30 minutes, or let's say it was, it was lasting a couple hours. I don't know the exact details there, but there is video attached to the link. Like I said, it'll be in the description. Um, the kids thought they might be able to come back to school, and they were, in fact, deliberately locked out. Some of the students were reportedly um, very confused as to what to do, and some went to one of the other campuses. Um, which I find an interesting move also. I think they went to one of the other campuses because they felt safe there and they knew they had to be at school somewhere. Um, so uh, the response by locking them out, I think was, uh, was uh, an interesting way to go. All right, um, let's see here. Uh, moving on to our next, um, moving on here to our next story. All right. Hi, everyone. We are here with Cole from Twin City Citizens Report um, talking to us about things that are going on in Minnesota uh, for this episode. Um, so, Cole, our podcast is named Teach for Justice. And while it is early in our podcast life, uh, the idea that media, specifically journalists, are teachers also will become 
a recurring theme. Uh, I'm particularly thankful for the role local journalists like your like yourself play in covering the working conditions of school personnel in your area. Before we talk about specific coverage, please describe your coverage area and you know some general issues that are in that area that you feel don't get enough attention. Sure, um, my general area is just really anything around the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, um, anything of note. So most of the time that has been in the last couple of years, um, protests, which those have been getting well, international coverage. Um, so the big ones, of course, were the George Floyd protests of two years ago and the unrest that followed there. Um, that's where I got my start. And then recently this year, there's been a lot of action trying to get um, what protesters have deemed justice for Amir Locke as the um, goal of this protest round. And so Amir Locke was killed, I believe, uh, early February in a mm -hmm. no-knock raid. Um, issued for the St. Paul Police Department and executed by an MPD SWAT team. He was asleep and the, um, the SWAT team went in at about, I think it was five or 6 a.m. It was quite early and mm -hmm. they shot him within nine seconds of entering the apartment. Um, he did have a gun, but it was registered in his name. He had a legal permit to carry and um, he, the video doesn't show him, it is in his hand, but his hand isn't on the trigger and it does not show him pointed officers before he shot. So um, yeah, there's been, I think probably about three or four major actions on that. They just decided not to charge the officer. Let's wow. see here, probably a few weeks ago. So there was a protest march on that, but it was much smaller than expected. I think it was only about 80 people, including oh. media. So um, we'll, we'll see how that situation develops yet. Right, right. Um, all right. Uh, you tweeted in some of your coverage on uh, this uh, teacher contract negotiation and, and eventual strike uh, about, it was about a year ago, it was on May 27th, 2021. Uh, you said, you will probably notice that I rarely, if ever, use the names of people I talk with or interview. This is because I don't ask for names unless someone wants to give me theirs. A lot of people prefer to stay anonymous while discussing current racial or local issues, and I respect that. And I, um, I, I sort of felt that when I, when I read that, because I didn't realize that by titling this podcast, Teach for Justice, that some teachers weren't going to want to talk to me, that they felt like the term justice was too charged. Uh, and, you know, it's a year after this tweet almost, and uh, I think it's even harder to get teachers to go on record as challenging whatever's happening in their community because uh, we are, in some areas, teachers are under attack um, for, for a variety of things. So it's a year later and now you're out there covering a teacher strike still, um, especially in mid-March, you posted on Twitter some really insightful interviews from some frontline school employees uh, that people, I really encourage people to go on, on Twitter and check out these live interviews. Help me understand though, what's been uh, the most significant contributors to the tension between teachers and administration and, and the school board in the last year or so there in that, in that Minneapolis area? I think you're going to get two different answers on that, depending on who you ask. If you ask what? the teachers, they would probably say like a lack of listening, I suppose, and a lack of respect for their job. Um, one of the ESPs I spoke to in the interviews you referenced said that there were over 100 um, ESPN, that's educational support professional, uh, 100 
openings for those throughout the district. And so he was telling me about the struggles he had with like when students would get in fights, there wouldn't be enough other uh, employees around to basically break up that fight. He had break up a fight, he said, by himself and then stay there with that student, just him for over 15 minutes until he could get someone else to go there. Um, and I've, I've heard as well that mental health staffing is not at the levels it could be that teachers want it to be. Um, right. I believe one teacher told me it was less than one mental health professional per school. Um, <laughs> when you're, you know, transferring them around the district, it definitely puts a strain on the system. And so the teachers are wanting more of those resources, more ESPs. And um, I think the district, they're very insular, right? With their policy speaking to media. I don't think I can speak for their position accurately. Um, and I mean, I think they're either doing the best they can with the resources they have to keep everything afloat or at least working towards whatever their financial goals are, which, you know, in the district size, there may be things more important than those hiring for those open positions, whatever that might be. Um, so I don't, I don't want to speak too much on what the district wants because I honestly can't really say I, they didn't, a lot of my emails were not unanswered. They always answered, but a lot of them, they didn't, give all the information I requested at the time. So they've, they've responded just not necessarily thoroughly in your, in your experience so far. Yeah, them. there is some, some replies have been like, um, you know, thank you for your email, but we aren't commenting on that at the time, you know, in that, not that, that exactly, but in that same vein. Right. Yeah. I, and I encourage people to, to watch some of those interviews because hearing from frontline people, um, and, and probably because you're not putting their name out there, they feel a little more comfortable, but it's pretty raw. And, and I think it's part of, you know, it's a counterbalance to the narrative right now that teachers are aggressively doing some things that some parents might not like. Uh, it's been rough out there. And, and the way that you've shown uh, those frontline workers out there uh, doing what they can to draw attention to it has been uh, really important to me and, and I'm sure other educators that that are tuning in to see what's going on over there. And I, I really appreciate it. Um, as far as you can tell, and, and I totally understand that it's anecdotal, uh, is the tension limited to just this district right now that you're covering, or is it, is it all over the state? You know, I don't live in that area. Um, is it just them or is it, is it everywhere over there? Yeah. And like you said, it's for sure anecdotal. I can only speak for what I've heard. Um, I'd say around the state, it's probably similar would be my, guess um our education funding is currently lower than a lot of people teachers especially uh, at a state level would like it um to be and we currently have a it's over a billion i can't remember how many billion but we have a large surplus in minnesota right now for a state budget and uh, at the moment i don't believe any of that is slated to go towards education despite a push for it because people want more education funding because of the state the schools are in so I think it's it's statewide would be my guess, but like it's kind of nationwide is my understanding yeah. as well. I'm on the I West Coast think... and we've got, it's Oakland, Sacramento, um, and some other people very frustrated uh, over here on the West Coast. So it, it's, it's, it's popping up, but you know, not everyone's unionized either, which is, has its own um, other issues, but uh, right. Um, all right, good. Thank you. Um, I want to stress for listeners of this podcast that you've tried to cover the district side, had some trouble getting their perspective. Um, uh, 
do you have, I, I know we just, we just talked about this here, but um, you know, um, has anyone reached out to you or on this street there uh, from a, either school board side or it does it seem like the school board and the district admin are on the same page or what, where does the school board fit in all this? Um, the school board itself is divided, I believe. And it's, um, there's two members I can't remember the name of right now, but there are two members who seem much more student centric in an in interview or not an interview meeting, um, about whether or not to extend the school time due to the strike, mm -hmm. um, or students came up and protested that meeting and to try and stop the vote. And one of the school board and Ed Graff, that was uh, the day, the day before he resigned, actually, he uh, walked out of the meeting because the students swore. Um, and one of the school board members said, uh, we can't take this vote with Graff without Graff here. She was trying to, I believe she was trying to delay probably, this is my assumption, in support of those students. Um, so the vote passed, it was still taken and 48 minutes were added on to the school day, uh, district wide for the rest of the year to make up for the time loss in the strike. 48 minutes? 48, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so some of the schools are running ridiculous times. I shouldn't say ridiculous, but like uh, definitely not standard, definitely more than average, I believe. Some of them are going till a little after four. Yeah, like I four o'clock. 4 p.m. Wow. per day, so. Um, but two of those school board members went and joined the student protesters after that vote okay. where the others, the others, I'm not sure what they did, but I think there's that kind of that divide on the school board um, that we can speak to. Um, and then was the rest of the question about, I believe, um, the district's media policies, was it? Um, well, it's, it's, it's just kind of what is your understanding? I know they're giving you very little information. I was just wondering mm -hmm. if informally... Uh, you were getting any other, um, any information from admin uh, and then oh, okay. where the school board sat, are they together with admin sort of against the teachers or to have them yeah. split just makes the whole situation so, more complex, I think. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say the split there is uh, the answer to that. As for like, I don't believe the school board themselves is uh, giving in much for interviews right now. I don't believe they have been during this. It's kind of been a district policy of silence. I believe Ed Graff may have given one or two when he was still in, but uh, certainly none to me. The only contact I've been able to get with the district has been their media liaison. Okay. All right. Uh, this question is from a, a teacher perspective. Do you get recognition from, from teachers or, or the union itself uh, for your coverage and, and your efforts to shine a light on their situation? Um, I, I'd say there's been a fair amount, depending on like how you um, define said recognition. Like they've never like, I guess, like called out a public thank you or anything, but I don't expect that either. Um, they've been, the district's been, or sorry, not the district, uh, MFT has been very willing to work with me where I've had a lot of like difficulty, you know, getting information out of the district at times. MFT is, um, I met there. Oh gosh, I'm not going to be able to remember ranks right now. But Sean is high up in there. Okay. Uh, Sean and Greta, and uh, I met Sean at one of the protests, student protests inside the district's offices, and he was very helpful in both getting me someone to interview as well as telling me there's going to be an event you're not going to want to miss in half an hour. And that's when the uh, food services announced they were joining. Right. Uh, they intended to join the strike. Um, 
and so he he let me know to stick around for that which was great um and so i mean they they've also like the frontline videos you referenced earlier that i posted a lot of like low level members of mft who are you know like don't hold like a high up position in the union they're just rank and file members have like shared those videos and commented on them um which is is that so much recognition for me or sharing a video that supports their cause i can't say but there has been some acknowledgement yeah all right well cool um all right well let's let's talk about the role students themselves are playing in the situation for a second i saw that students had tried to arrange a protest and potentially a sit-in on march 17th how did that go and uh is there any gap or differences uh in the concerns expressed by the students uh, than than the teachers or know like who organized the students or or was it like an organic group of uh students and parents sure um that particular um student sit-in of the davis center the district offices that you mentioned that one was entirely organic that was organized by i believe uh mn teens oh gosh i can't quite remember it was an instagram account i want to say it was mm teams united it was minnesota teens of some kind and that was entirely student-led and organized. There was no adult input in that. I asked organizers and the teachers there, and they both said the same for me. Um, and that one, yeah, that that was um, that one did go well. They got in the district offices. The front door was locked, but they got around back and got in. And um, <laughs> yeah, that, they were in there for several hours. District employees ran into them at one point having lunch, and they all got up and stopped having lunch. <laughs> um, there was no confrontation there. The district employees just left. Um, as for the student support, I'd say the students are pretty, from the ones I've spoken to, they're pretty, their demands match that of MFTs. And I think that's probably where a lot of the influence for and knowledge of the situation and the strike for them has come from would be their teachers who are MFT members, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, I can't speak for students who may not support the strike as they weren't at said strike events to talk to. Right. So right. yeah, but I, but I can tell you the ones that were there, there were a sizable number from a lot of schools. Um, and the ones that were there, their demands were very close to, if not exactly matching the teachers. Yeah. Right. And I appreciate you saying it was a, from several schools as opposed to, you know, if it were one school, you could chalk that up to one or two, you know, real aggressive teachers saying, hey guys, you should go. And you'd be able to see those individual teachers influence, but if it's multiple schools and, and I, I really feel like that's a good example of that they're all feeling this. Um, uh, yeah. And I, I think it would be interesting to hear from, uh, from kids who maybe uh, uh, had the, that, that counter perspective. Um, all right. On a uh, uh, next question for you on, on April 11th of this year, you sent an interesting um, follow-up uh, tweet to your reporting on the suspension of equity officer, Eric Moore. And you, you stated, apologize for not posting this source originally. I had no idea I was apparently the one breaking the news. I figured other outlets would have reported it already as someone desperately trying to get information, on, um, end quote. So as someone trying to get information from the West Coast, I'm concerned about the lack of national coverage regarding these teacher strikes. Uh, what do you consider the reasons for lack of uh, national coverage and do you think like local coverage is doing an adequate job yeah i'd say um for local coverage i did see i saw a lot of like the corporate news out of these a lot of these events 
and a lot of other freelancers as well. There were some like the Davis sit-in that um, there was no corporate media there. It was myself and maybe one or two other freelancers. Um, as for why it's not getting national coverage, I think this is probably kind of viewed as a Minnesota issue outside of Minnesota would be my guess. And even within, and with that, a lot of news stations might not see it as worthwhile, especially with in the background of the Amazon and Starbucks organizing right now. Right, to make right. it. Um, yeah, I almost and, thought that that might help the, the, the education workers apply that people might say, Oh, okay. Well, if we're talking about Starbucks and Amazon, let's, Let's also talk about what teachers are doing, you know, as a, as a thread, but I just, I haven't seen that either. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if a lot of people have linked up in their minds, how many teacher strikes are happening at this time concurrently. Um, I don't think a lot of people are aware that there kind of is a movement going on right now. And well, unlike Starbucks and Amazon, teachers unions don't advertise on cable news. Right. And so yeah. I feel like, there, that's one of the pieces, and I'm I'm slowly trying to um, find that thread. And if I have to start a database of strikes and walkouts, so I think walkouts is another piece of this that isn't being covered. There's been um, uh, uh, multiple walkouts for different reasons: pro mask, anti mask, uh, you know, uh, food not being free. Uh, during the pandemic, all, all this, you know, a variety of things. And, and I feel like student walkouts themselves have gotten minimal to no uh, national coverage either. And, and uh, I just find it, uh, if, if I were those kids, I'd be expecting a little bit more attention uh, and not getting it, I think, really. It's probably demotivating, we'll, but uh, we'll, we'll see as we move forward. Um, all right. And so finally, where does the issue here with the Minnesota teachers and, and the food service workers, for that matter, stand as of today? Today's uh, April 26, 2022. Right. Um, so the strike has been settled. Um, a new contract has been written up and tentatively agreed on for the, the TA, the tentative agreement. Um, I don't believe the district has actually signed that yet. They have signed a return to work agreement and teachers have returned to work. Mm -hmm. um the union approved the ta at i believe about somewhere around three out of every four voted to approve it okay um and so that it gave raises to teachers um and notably esps esps went from uh i think the lowest paid esps in the district were mid 20,000s i want to say is what they were making a year and now they're, that's going to be closer to about 35000 Um, Their district has promised more uh, mental health resources as well as retainment of um, Black employees as it, the current demographics of employees in the district don't match the demographics of the students. It's like not even close. I believe it's, I believe it's around 13% of district employees. Like that's everyone in the school from, you know, janitors to teachers to administration is around 13% black, I think. And at the time it's closer to 50% of the students. It's oh, wow. I believe somewhere, somewhere between 40 to 50%. So there, there's a very large disparity there. Um, um, some of the teachers I spoke to were very satisfied. Um, and like I said, three quarters voted to approve it. Others, um, it's been a few ESPs I've spoken to who haven't been happy at all with it. One of them told me he's a special educator at one of the elementary schools. 
he told me he's, he's just quitting after this. Um, he knew, he said his site, his school voted against the TA um, in overwhelming numbers. And they, they, he said he expected it to pass, but they were stunned by what a wide margin it passed by. And he thinks as a TA, it doesn't really, there wasn't much of a solution in his opinion for like what I mentioned earlier with the TA at the middle school who had to take a student out of a fight and sit there alone with him for 15 minutes. Um, this ESP told me that, yeah, he told me, so the resource, the labor resources haven't been solved and his job is still going to be awful because of it. And so he said after this semester, he's done. Yeah, the unfortunately, you know, being a, a you know a teacher myself, I and just last year and this year starting to get involved with the union, uh, I'm starting to learn how many layers and adults are involved with making these decisions for these kids. And and uh, at the end of the day, there's some really well-meaning people that just don't feel empowered to to do what they need to do. Which is why I like going back to when you said, "What do they want? They want some more listening." Um, that's important. I don't think all of these strikes are always about money. They're, they're about working conditions and feeling valued. And, and when you're in this industry to call it an industry, I know it's a cynical term, but it is, uh, uh, there's a lot of us who are putting kids first. And if, if other groups aren't, that that's, that's a big source of the tension. So I want to thank you for the work you're doing covering this, um, as a teacher who's trying to understand how we're being affected um, nationwide. Where can people who want to learn more about this particular um, issue uh, find you and, and find your work? Um, pretty much all the work related to this and this project has been on the Twitter at Twin Cities Reports. Um, I don't think there will be a lot of continued coverage of the teacher strike at the moment, I guess, just due to the fact that it's mostly settled, really. Um, so I guess I could scroll back and look at the tweets. Um, Otherwise, there's, let's see, uh, some local newspapers in Minneapolis might be good as well. I did some writing in the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder for this. Um, you can maybe, you know, go to that website and search Teacher Strike and find some articles there. Okay. All right. Well, hey, thank you for your commitment to shining a light on what's going on here. This teacher and union member from the West Coast. West Coast appreciates it, and, and I appreciate you. So, Cole, thank you for being on Teach for Justice, and I will um, hopefully uh, talk to you again soon. Sure. Thanks so much. All right.